there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, uh, you're very welcome to Your Politics, our weekly politics podcast here from Leinster House. In a few mo- moments, I'll be chatting about the week's events with Sandra Hurley and Michal Lahan. But with me at the moment is People Before Profit TD and TD for Dublin Midwest, Gino Kenny. Good thanks, afternoon. Thanks, Anya. Thanks That's for having good me. good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, good. Let's talk about uh, the bill you brought forward today, the bill to decriminalise cannabis. What's in this bill? Yeah. So what's in the bill is an amendment to the existing legislation. Uh, so at the moment, the existing legislation states that somebody cannot possess cannabis, no matter what quantity it is. So uh, in this bill, we're saying that somebody can have up to seven grams of cannabis for personal use uh, and they would not kind of face criminal sanction. So that's basically what the, the bill is. It's decriminalisation of the person. Why? Why are you bringing it Um I think, and I think there's a groundswell of opinion, that criminalising people for personal drug use, in this instance cannabis, is a waste of time. Uh, it's a waste of kind of resources, court resources, police resources, and obviously the person that is being criminalised. Because obviously if they're given a, a kind of a charge or a kind of a criminal record, that kind of follows them around for a long time. So there's thousands of people that use cannabis and they're kind of law-abiding people. So why criminalise them uh, for, for for using cannabis? It doesn't make sense. And, you know, I always say to people that probably may not agree with our position is that cannabis is a controlled drug, but largely it's controlled by the black market. So why allow that to happen? Um, I think we need to seed back control in relation to cannabis in this instance. So, yeah. So this is a private member's bill. Private member's. What happens to it from here on? So I introduced it today um, and then hopefully it will will get private member's time probably late February. Hopefully we can use it in our kind of uh, party and then there'll be a vote on it. And hopefully, I mean, the government talking about harm reduction, they're talking about health-led approach. This is a test of that kind of rhetoric. How do you stop it being more than a stunt in the door? Well, I think, I mean, we've put the legislation forward. Uh, there's obviously um, people... But you don't seriously think it will succeed? Do, well, you, do you think you, you've... You I know, I will, it will succeed. You, it, it, will, it will succeed. I'm, I have no doubt that in a number of years we will be talking about decriminalisation of cannabis. I'm, I'm 100% I'm 100% certain that it will happen. But in 2023? Um, no. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist when it comes to this place. I'm convinced that the wind of change um, in relation to this issue, uh, you know, governments are kind of around the, around the world are changing in, uh, the policies around, um, you know, decriminalisation. So I think I'm, I'm quite optimistic that it will happen. Do you think the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs will feed into this? Yes, I think so. Obviously, that's going to be early next year. And obviously, that looks at the broader issue around decriminalisation. Um, and hopefully, that re- the recommendations from that will then be relayed back to the government. Now, whether the government um, employ them recommendations, it's difficult to know. I, I, I kind of, we'll see, we'll see. But I think things are changing. And these laws that were, you know, put together 42 years ago are quite out, de- out of date. And they're kind of, I think, are out of time. And we, I think there's a groundswell of opinion that uh, public opinion, sometimes, well, all the time, politician opinions is, is out of step mm-hmm. with um, uh, 
public opinion, but does a groundswell of opinion to criminalise somebody for personal drug use is antiquated. It's, you know, it doesn't belong to an Ireland that in 1970 is a completely different era in, in relation to right. Ireland. So I, I'm optimistic. I have to be, because if, you, if you're not optimistic in this place, you're kind of drown. But there is the medical evidence, particularly the medical evidence about the impact of marijuana, which, you yeah. know, which some people say it isn't as bad as other drugs, but yeah. that, the impact of that on young people in particular yeah. and on their mental health. And what, what, so that legislation like this could be send, sending out the wrong signal. No, we're cognizant of uh, you know, people that have cannabis dependency and can have um, issues with uh, cannabis use. I, well, you understand that. Uh, that's in the paradigm of prohibition. Because, you know, there's the, the, the cannabis at the moment is quite potent compared to, say, the cannabis that was used, uh, say, a couple of decades ago. So under that kind of, um, I suppose, that paradigm, we need to change, you know, how, you know, what actually So we could codify it better. If it exactly. Was. And people will know actually what they're consuming because what's happening at the moment, people do know what they're consuming. And that's really dangerous, you know. And I think that is a very, very good, uh, you know, argument to regulate something that is not regulated. Because if we'd done this with alcohol, you would talk about thousands of people dying every single year because of po uh, alcohol poison. OK, we look forward to seeing what yeah. happens to that bill. Uh, talk to us, by the way, before you go, about the assisted dying bill, of course. Where's yeah. that? So, obviously, uh, on Wednesday, the Doll Reform Committee will meet and hopefully they will, uh, st you know, state that um, the... This, the Special Erectus Committee will be established before Christmas. That's what I'm hoping that will happen because obviously this has gone on far too long. Um, this is a year and a half ago since the Justice Committee recommended that the Special Committee could be set up. It's been very, very frustrating to say the least. Uh, but I'm very confident that the, the committee will be established either before Christmas or early in the new year. And then we can tease out, you know, the whole broad spectrum of a very, very, very complicated debate. Very complicated debate. But again, Anya, Look at public opinion on this issue. Public opinion states that three quarters of the people in Ireland would agree in changing the law around assisted dying. That's that's been consistent, consistent all the time. And again, you know, I know it's a it's a but we need to have this teased out and understand the complexities of an issue around assisted dying. Okay, well we look forward to talking about the work of that committee whenever yeah. that happens, if it does. And thank you for coming in to Thanks, talk Anna. to us this afternoon on right. your politics, Gino Kenny. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, and we'll go back now to our regular chin wag about uh, the issues of the week. Uh, Michal Lahan, our correspondent, is with me. And I'll shortly be joined, thank you Gino, yes, I'll yes. shortly be joined by Sandra Hurley of our political staff as well. Um, Let's start with some good news on a cold and grey uh, Thursday afternoon, Michal. Good news, it seems, for Pascal Donoghue. Good news. Big win in Europe for Pascal Donoghue. So the diplomatic efforts, uh, both at European level and the necessary diplomatic efforts to keep the government on track as well, all seem to have worked out. Pascal Donoghue is the sole candidate uh, going forward to become the president, to retain his role as president of the Eurogroup, that group of European finance ministers that is influential, very influential indeed, uh, the Tánaiste says, and it will, for the first time in quite a while, have someone who isn't a finance minister at the helm, and that is Pascal Dunhue. That was the complicating factor, uh, but it seems to have been squared off. It'll probably be formally announced on December 5th when the, the finance ministers meet. So Ireland will have two people in the room at that meeting, Michael McGrath, as anticipated as the actual 
government's representative as the finance minister and then Pascal Dunn who was the independent chairman. It is it is quite a coup and it's a big thing. Now, there are two views on this, even across, we'll say, parts of Fine Gael as to just how important it is. There is a group of backbenchers, a group of people maybe who might have ministerial ambitions at the junior level who said they would have never died on a ditch for Pascal Donoghue on this one, that, that, that it just wasn't that important enough. But certainly up at the upper echelons of government and the Thonish was convinced it was uh, influential and it was important for Ireland to retain that role and it's worked. And if it was good news for Pascal Donoghue and uh, we'll see how all that plays out in the weeks ahead. Uh, Michal Sandra, you've joined us and you're very welcome. Um, it's been bad news, hasn't it, for the government on the whole refugee accommodation front, on the housing front? Yes, I think it's like kind of all come together this week, hasn't it? Those tensions that we saw in East Wall in Dublin, those are replicated all over the country. You talk to any TD and it is causing problems locally. There's a shortage of housing. There's a concern about services. And it's about that consultation with uh, local communities. But what's clear is the government says that it hasn't got time to consult fully in advance. But there also seems to be a bit of a name from government that it feels that it, it that local communities, it says, cannot veto people coming to their area. The Tonish Dali of Radker said that earlier this week. So they... They may consult with people, but they're not going to do an elongated process that allows people to say, well, they can't come to our community. And yes, housing again, big problem in the doll this week. Um, it was fo- the focus of leaders' questions today. Sinn Féin, of course, put down that motion calling for the declaration of a housing emergency. Now, that was dismissed by Dara O'Brien, the minister, saying that's just semantics. He f- he's focused on real actions, but I think a lot of the indicators for government on housing aren't going well. There's big problems ahead. And the uh, the numbers for next year definitely are at risk. And Leo Radker conceded that at the weekend. Uh, yes, indeed. And just uh, on the on the refugee accommodation issue, the expert group report, Michal, this week, uh, they were quite specific. This is about housing. And in fact, their recommendation is a state agency to deal with uh, refugees and their integration that should be under the aegis of the Department of Housing. Yeah, that seems that there is a sense now that that department that has been put in charge of housing the refugees, that it has become overwhelming for them. And I suppose why wouldn't it in one sense, a department newly created in its current guise that has housed 64,000 people from Ukraine so far this year. You can see, though, government has its housing policy and then it has this kind of special approach that it's taking to older buildings uh, and to trying to get them equipped quickly for people from Ukraine. And as well as that, you see again today that new appeal to try and get more people uh, to put their own vacant homes and apartments forward. Now, that is going to have to be far more successful than the last one when you think that there was Mm 11,000 pledges at one point and only about 2,000 of those properties are being used, housing about 5,500 people. They say lessons have been learned. This is a new scheme through the local authorities. It, It certainly is going to be handled by the local authorities, but of course, local authorities too kind of on the ground level, you hear under pressure uh, when it comes to finding those those buildings that they're meant to equip. And Leo Verad- just to comment yeah. on that, actually, I think it was interesting to note this morning that at that press conference you had the Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman, and the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien. I think that was a really deliberate attempt by the government to put on a united front and say that we are having a cross-government effort here. These departments, both of them, are working to house all the refugees and deal with uh, all the people coming yeah. to Ireland at and the 9, moment. 9,000 more due between now and the end of the year. Uh, Leo Varadkar uh, getting in hot water as well for his remarks at the weekend about, you know, the cost of housing here and people having to generation rent, having to emigrate, uh, that faraway hills aren't always greener. 
Yes, uh, he, he cited, I think, New York and Sydney, two very expensive places, and said that people would find that uh, rents over there were also pretty high, pretty high cost of living. But of course, since then, I think he's been inundated on social media with young people in various countries around the world saying, actually, the grass is greener where we are. So it's the kind of throwaway comment, I think, that a politician puts out sometimes. Uh, it was out the Fine Gael or Adesh, but that actually kind of comes back to haunt them because it's something that has resonated with young people everywhere. These are the people affected generation rent who cannot get a foothold on the housing ladder, who cannot find a place to rent in Ireland. These are the people really affected and these are the future voters and they didn't take kindly to this remark. I think it was in an interview with Gavin Riley actually. Oh, was it? Credit the opposition <laughs> okay. actually on that one. Uh, energy hasn't gone away. Uh, windfall tax, we were hearing news about that uh, this week, Michal. And there's also going to be another signing tomorrow. Yes, getting energy from France or the Celtic Interconnector, there's going to be a, a contract signed for that in Paris tomorrow and Minister Raymond Ryan and the Taoiseach will be there for that. But the, the windfall tax, government saying that it could yield quite a bit of money and it's the kind of money that they might need most likely next winter if there still is an energy crisis, which there looks to be. At the same time, there is that fact that the wholesale price of electricity has started to drop and that's not being reflected yet in people's bills. So up to 1.9 billion could be raised in the windfall tax government thing, but it could be far less than that as well. And it could be already spent on the measures that have already been brought in. Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. I'm really amazed by the divergence, actually, of the estimates. I think they said between 300 million and 1.9 mm-hmm. billion, as Michal Lahan just said there. And that that is an enormous range. It clearly shows it's very difficult to put an exact finger on this. Uh, the UCC um, energy economist Paul Dean was speaking about this earlier this week, and he said he expects it to come in at the lower range. And really, if you applied that to everybody's bills across the country, it wouldn't actually go very far in terms of alleviating the pressure at the moment. Um, uh, one thing, other charge that has had people exercised and it was re- being raised by Sinn Féin today, Michal, was tolls, ro- road tolls. Yeah, at one level, this politically is easy enough to resolve. It's about 25 to 30 million euro. That's a lot of money, but government has that kind of money at the moment. But it's not that simple for because Eamon Ryan uh, clearly believes that any money that's set aside for public transport or for road maintenance uh, can't be used to delay these tolls being hiked, essentially. But of course, one suspects there's more to it than that because that guarantee could be provided fairly quickly as well if the will was there. Mm-hmm. Is there something and a fear within uh, the Green Party in particular that anything that is seen to incentivise the car ahead of public transport is not good ultimately for public policy? And I think that's the crux of it. But ultimately, what's going to happen here is that Michael McGrath is going to write a cheque for £25 million and those tolls are going to be delayed and that'll be announced some days, probably between Christmas and New Year, I would think. Speaking of the Greens, Sandra, of course, their party conference coming up this weekend and they've welcomed back two former members to the fold. That's right, Patrick Costello and Nasa Harrigan, two TDs who lost the party whip earlier this year over a vote on the National Maternity Hospital. They had to go through a process where they had to reapply. They did that, I think, on Monday, and then they were readmitted by the Parliamentary Party meeting last night. Uh, some joking that it's only a matter of time before they go overboard again. Uh, Nasa Harrigan, obviously, I think, has voted against the government twice. Patrick Costello has taken that seat a challenge. He took it all the way to the Supreme Court and he won his case and he He's created now this big headache for the coalition. But yes, they are back in the fold officially and they will both be at the uh, the party conference this weekend. And it brings the government up to 82 now, so they are back into that clear technical majority uh, territory. And that, that's important too, coming into December 17th when the government numbers will be there for all to see.
Sita, what are they going to do about that big problem, though? Going to read the judgment. It's 500 pages, you know. Takes a long it, time to read, read, does it? it? A long time to read and a lot of uh, discussions with other countries as well to see if a legislative change would work for them. It's going to be kicked down the road. It won't be probably dealt with by this government at all, I would suspect. And that really is the simple solution, isn't it? You know, put it off into uh, the next government, then they don't have to have a big coalition row about it because the Greens are going to find it difficult to back. I think more people than just uh, NASA Harrigan and Patrick Costello uh, would be voting against this if it was tried to be shoved through the dollar as an amendment to existing legislation. So, yeah, it's going to be long fingered. Yeah, given though the acrimonious nature of the of Patrick Costello and NASA Harrigan's departure at that time over the National Maternity Hospital, as government has come through uh, the early part of a difficult winter, they're probably in slightly better shape than we might have anticipated going into that rotation point, for the moment at least, notwithstanding huge difficulties. Another issue they have to grapple with, and maybe sooner rather than later, and that's going to be the nature of an inquiry following these uh, allegations of abuse and spirit in schools debate going on this afternoon. The question is, what kind of inquiry and the scale of the inquiry? Yes, it is a mammoth task because it is very clear now this cannot be just limited to schools run by the Spiritans. Blackrock College is the one that that has been most in the spotlight, but there are other schools uh, that the Spiritans ran and there's many other religious orders and many schools where they also have had problems with uh, previous abuse. So the Taoiseach was asked about this at the weekend. How do you run something like this? He suggested a module-based approach. Would you take it religious order by religious order perhaps but it is the scale of this is absolutely enormous it could take years there's no question the government also seems to be talking about doing something perhaps on a non-statutory basis using the model of the scally inquiry into cervical check that would make things quicker but it would reduce the powers of the inquiry it wouldn't be conducted in public there would be a reduced power of compelability and that wouldn't satisfy everyone and more focus after the final scally report uh, Michal, on cervical check on this question of mandatory reporting of medical mistakes yeah and big commitments two big commitments were made in the days after vicky Phelan's death one is that the the new lab the screening lab uh, would be up and running at the Coombe Hospital on the grounds there by the end of the year. That doesn't seem like it's a possibility because the staff can't be in place to achieve that. The other promise made uh, in on the floor of the doll by the Taoiseach was that legislation on mandatory disclosure, that that would be in place too and ready by the end of the year. Given the amount of legislation that has to go through the doll in the final weeks, again, that's looking uh, quite ambitious and it, it would be quite... Uh, a stark a reminder of, of past failings if those two promises uh, completely fell away. Very briefly, no Iranian embassy, that's looking less likely now, is it? Yeah, Ireland had planned to open an embassy in Iran next year. Strong calls from some within the government ranks, notably John Paul Phelan and Senator Regina Doherty, saying that entire issue has to be revisited now in light of what's happening in Iran. So it's paused for the moment. Okay, one to watch. I think so. Uh, I'm not sure that it has potential to create huge yeah. problems within government, uh, So, but, but something to keep an eye on. Let's end on a happy note, on a grey day. Um, happy Thanksgiving, Michal and Sandra, and happy Thanksgiving to anyone who tuned into uh, this podcast. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, we'll be back with you at the same time next week. Till then, goodbye. <laughs>